I'm just recounting her encounter. Don't sue me. Michelle, Michelle, hello. Sorry, that was too much. That was way too much to start with. I'll start again. Hi, Michelle. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> what are we doing? Hello. How are you going? I'm good. What about you? No, I am absolutely fantastic. I've had about five different people texting me this morning about an alien body. What? Yeah, alien bodies found in Mexico. No. What, today? Yeah, it's all kicking off in the news. The 14th of September in 2023 for posterity. Because don't forget, we exist right now here in the present, the future and the past all at once. I just love reminding myself of that. But that's exactly like when you hear, say, a song from Prince or David Bowie or any of those dead artists. You know, they are in the future from the past. That's the power of recordings. The power of recordings. Yes. Do you want to tell me any more about this bloody alien? Well, no, what I'm going to say is I'm going to do some deep diving into this Watch out for a future episode because there's some shit that we need to look into. But I also just want to introduce ourselves. Oh, we we must do that, really, mustn't we? Yes, yes. I'm Michelle. I'm Geordie. And you're listening to Eavesdropping the Podcast. Eavesdropping the Podcast. And we'd like to congratulate you for choosing us. Thank you very much. Shall I tell you a funny thing? Yes, please. So... It was on the news. You know, sometimes you get the ping. I get Australian and UK news sent to my phone. This one's from news.com.au, but it's actually from a UK story, which I didn't hear in the UK, probably because it was so fucking embarrassing. But news.com.au reported that at the start of September, police were called to a yoga class held at the North Sea Observatory in Lincolnshire, which sounds nice, doesn't it? Responding to a report of a mass killing, Michelle. What? In a yoga studio? In a yoga studio. A member of the public walked past the glass windows and saw several people lying on the floor through the window and they assumed that they had all either taken their own lives or been murdered, mass murdered. So they contacted the police and the police arrived. Yoga teacher Millie Laws said her class were just drifting into a deep state of relaxation when local dog walkers passed by and mistook the scene for a ritual mass murder. What the fuck? We all know that that's when you get the lavender bags on your eyes. It's the nicest part of a yoga class is when you you do the wind down. Not when the police kick it down. No. Jesus Christ. Oh, police, on the floor, now, now, now. Well, they're already on the floor. We're staying down, Ossifer. Those dog walkers, I, I don't mean to be ageist, but... Don't you dare, I'm a, I'm a dog walker. Hang on, what do you mean ageist? They must have been aged dog walkers because oh. anybody born in the 60s onwards when <laughs> yoga has been all the rage surely knows that relaxation session at the end. That's what you go for. You go for that <laughs> meditation. It's actually one of the reasons why I stopped doing yoga because it's all in German and you can't relax. Hey, hey, hey. I, sh- I shouldn't <laughs> say it like that. That sounds no, terrible. It's racist. And it's not a relaxing language. What else is going on? Any other updates? No, and no news no. is good news. No news is good news. You know I believe that. This is what Jen always says. What else does she say? A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Did you ever understand what that meant? (laughs) 
<laughs> My mum used to say it all the time. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, love. Or, and I've said this before, it happens to the best of regulated families. I've never heard that before. I think that's a grannyism. Could be. Usually when I'm crying and vomiting at the same time. And wouldn't you say, rather than best of regulated families, wouldn't you say something like, Are you okay, sweetheart? <laughs> all that. Trojan true. My nana has some really good ones. Let me think. Have I ever told you about when I was pregnant and she said, Oh, you're a big girl, you'll be fine. You'll slip it like a goat. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I've got friends who still say that to me. Yeah. Oh my god. You'll slip it like a goat. She also said she had a dry birth, and I don't know what that means. Oh my god, that sounds absolutely horrific. I had a friend, speaking of pregnancy, I don't even know if this is safe for podcast talk or not. Oh, God. Anonymous friend, she gave birth and she didn't tear. Lucky girl. That's what I said. And she said, no, the nurses looked at me like I was a slut. Oh, really? (laughs) Yes, because she didn't tear. And I said... (laughs) You haven't torn like you're supposed to, you dirty girl. Honestly, save your judgment, nurses. She was getting vagina shamed. Wow. That's not okay. Really not okay. Honestly, if it's not the weather report, it's vag talk. Vagina report. Well, I'm not talking about vaginas today, Michelle. Not one iota. I'm going to move on from that. Iota. Another one. Let's see how many more little sayings we can find from our mums that they would say that make absolutely no sense to this day. So let's slip it like a goat today into the conversation. <laughs> well, I want to take you back to the year 1972, Michelle, to a place called Lake Geneva. No, not that one. There's one in Wisconsin. I can never say that word. Wisconsin. Wisconsin. It's like Massachusetts. I can say that, though. I can't say Wisconsin. I've just said it. You did? I did well. Congrats to me. But moving on. Two fantasy game nerdy chaps by the name of Gary and Dave developed a role-playing game based on several other similar games and it involved such things as medieval battles played by a single character who's challenged by puzzles and perils. Can you guess what I'm talking about today, Michelle? It's Dooy and Dooy, a.k.a. Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. More popular than you'd like to think. I'm telling you now. What? Even still, it's so old school. Yes. What? No. Since when? It's really popular. With who? Michelle, keep up. <laughs> with everyone. With all the people that like to play it. But it must be D&D, you know, 2.0 or something. Because surely, I mean, it's been around forever. How can that still be popular? I was never into it, even back in the day. Really? No. Were you? No. Well, I say really like it was really a big surprise. I'm not into it either. Never have been. In fact, normally we just make fun of the people who did play D&D at lunch times, wouldn't we? I was not a bully. The nerds were just in the library playing their D&D. The tough kids were smoking and cracking bongs under the in the drains down the back of the school oval. The bad girls were in the toilet smoking and the, and the nerds yeah. were in the library playing Dungeons and Dragons. That's pretty much my high school experience as well. Where were you? You were the bad girl in the bad girls' toilets. <laughs> I was in the toilets, but only because I needed a wee. Oh, you weren't smoking? No, I wasn't smoking. I was watching Scrags. <laughs> Were you not in the Scrags? <laughs> I wasn't in the Scrag. No, thank God. But my son, who is now 32, my eldest child, he is an actual D&D master. He oh. is the master of his own games. That's right. And 
he wanted me to read out a little statement from his group that he he's in. He's in a D&D playing group called Mutant Freaks. But unfortunately, they didn't get through to me in time. So it may have to be an addendum at another point or maybe okay. a little extra dropping or something, extra droppings. Was it about how much they love the game or was it about what well, they I do? Or? I, I asked them to comment. I said, I'm doing a story. I'd love to hear what you've got to say. He said, I'll ask my group. And he gave me a link to Mutant Nerds. Dot co dot hang on let me just find it again mutant freaks sorry they're called mutant freaks.co.uk they're a group you can go there and you can play and it looks like it's full of hipster kind of people like my son's quite hipster and they go they hang out they do their games maybe they've got games that go on for a long time but let me just tell you a little bit about the history because when you talk about D, you just think about the nerds like you said in school actually a lot of our friends have probably played it mostly boys I'd say mostly boys but my son's girlfriend is the one who asked me to do a story on D&D this week which is why I'm talking about it because she and he used to play weekly I think she was a, a little wizard or something I don't know but each game that you play a group of people playing the game they each have a dungeon master who acts as both a referee and a storyteller kind of the boss of the game if you like a bit like Eddie in Stranger Things. Do you remember Stranger Things? Yeah, but I kind of switched off. You didn't watch it by then? Oh, season two, I kind of switched so off. So you didn't get to the episode where it was heavily... I mean, the whole thing is heavily influenced by D&D. But Eddie comes in, I think, season four, the last season. He was like this really cool headbangery type. And he was befriending these young geeks because he was a big dungeon master. And a lot of the things in the show, like the scary monsters, like the Demogorgon, the Shadow Monster, the Mind Flayer, and Vecna are all taken straight out of well, they're classic. The Dungeons and Dragons. They're classic yeah. D&D. Well, how do you even know it's classic D&D? How do you know? Because even back in the day, they were still called demigorgons and shit. That's classic. Oh, okay. Well, it wasn't classic to me. I hadn't a clue. <laughs> hadn't a clue. I was blissfully unaware. <laughs> the thing is, it illustrates something that D&D players have known all along, that Dungeons and Dragons is an experience, not just a game. It's, it's an experience that helps to develop communication skills and collaboration within the community and many players say it creates an incredible bond between its players how sweet how lovely that could be said of any kind of team sport no why are you being so mean about dungeons and dragons i'm not being mean at all i'm You're just saying, saying it's not special i'm just saying that equally playing five-a-side touch football or well think of it as five-a-side without the sweating because you just sit there and it's a little imaginary game and you can go anywhere and do anything without even leaving your seat, I think. Well, I guess that's got mental creativity, which a yeah. touch football game doesn't have. And the game can carry on as for as long as the players want as well. They can go for weeks, months, decades or even until they die. What? Yeah, the okay. game can just keep going on and on. Back in the 70s, when it began, it was a boxed set. So like a tabletop game. And Gary and Dave, who were the creators, they had to establish a company called TSR to market Dungeons and Dragons because it became quite the hit. And as we now know, that game was such a worldwide smash hit. It meant that the company grew and grew until eventually it was bought out by a company called Wizards of the Coast, who now own it. I think there was a little bit of Steve Zuckerberg kind of Facebooky vibey kind of Machiavellian stuff right. going on. But that's for another podcast. That's not for this one. Because I want to talk about the effect of the Dungeons and Dragons game in the 80s and hand in hand with Satanic Panic. Something we like to talk about. 
Oh, yes. So we know that the golden age of the tabletop role-playing game was in the 80s, and it was actually particularly 1985. American News Deep Dive Programme 60 Minutes, which we had an Australian version of, told us at the time there were between three and five million Dungeons and Dragons players in the world. That's a lot, especially for back then. They might still be playing the bloody game as well. 80-year-old Dungeon Master. It could be. Gary and Dave's initial company grossed over $30 million back in those days. But of course... Older generations were suspicious of such a strange and otherworldly thing that obsessed kids, teens and up. Because, you know, older people are allowed to play too. And books like Rona Jaff's Mazes and Monsters, which was turned into a TV movie starring a young Tom Hanks, fueled even more mistrust and conspiracy. In the film, Mazes and Monsters, Hanks becomes embedded in the imaginary world of a D&D style game which is called Mazes and Monsters and he's influenced by the game so much that he one becomes celibate and then two attempts to fling himself from the World Trade Center while it was still standing to cast a spell. Do you think that's actually possible in real life to be so mentally affected that you would potentially throw yourself off a building? This is what I'm talking about today, Michelle. No. You decide. Oh my God. You decide. Because pretty soon Satanic Panic got its icy fingers into the world of D&D just as it had worldwide in all arenas. We've done an episode on Satanic Panic. Michelle in particular spoke about the book Michelle Remembers, which kind of kick-started it off. It was a memoir from a woman who remembers being abused by a satanic cult. And the allegations just kept coming thick and fast. And it was almost unbelievable to the point where it was actually deemed unbelievable. But not until it had made quite an impact and damaged a lot of people's lives. Similar were the McMartin preschool trial, which you also spoke about, Michelle, where members of the McMartin family who were owning and operating a preschool in California, they were charged with hundreds of acts of sexual abuse of children in their care because these confessions just kept coming and coming and coming and they were more and more bizarre and people believed it. In fact, many of those falsely accused not only spent considerable time in prison, there's the likelihood that they're probably still doing time to this day. Innocent people. I mean, that is very possible. I've got some mini dives into Satanic Panic coming up. It is alive and well. It is not over. I believe you. That shit's not over. But anyway... Pin that. So most of us have heard of the 1996 West Memphis 3, which one of our listeners wanted us to look into. But we don't like to talk about things like this because it was an incredibly harrowing case and children are involved. In a nutshell, three young boys were murdered and the suspicion for the murders fell on three boys who were late teens. They were 16, 18 and 21 and they were described as outcasts who listened to heavy metal, read Stephen King novels and played D&D. Because the murders had an occultism link, this is why these young men were collared because they're not the archetypal conservative community members, you see. So they were all charged with the murders and two of them got life, another was sentenced to death despite the fact that DNA was not and forensic couldn't place them at the murders at all. In fact, they had the DNA present of unknown men at the scene, not these three teenagers. Oh, my God. They had a retrial and were released in 2011, but there's a lot of other podcasts out there that you can listen to with more details about the West Memphis Three, and there are tons of articles as well. 
So I don't need to go there. You can look at that elsewhere because it's not heavily D&D influenced. It's just a kind of a a picture of the outcast, you know? Yeah. And D&D is a part of that. So you can see already it's got a bad rep. And in the 80s, it was particularly bad. It was starting to really affect, I guess, sales or people taking it up. I don't know. So what do the game's founders do to alleviate the pressures of the moral majority freaking out? Well, by 1989, they've taken devils and demons out of the game to placate the rising fear of the community, but that didn't quite cut it. Staff at the offices of the game's company, TSR, would regularly receive calls from parents asking if D&D would turn their children into Satanists. And some would Mm. be threatening the members, the staffers, or they'd be yelling at the employees, saying that they'd be going straight to hell. Very similar to our episode that we did, the... Hampstead hoax where Americans were ringing yeah. these parents of children in a little Hampstead primary school screaming at them yeah. for being Satanists when they didn't really have much kind of evidence I suppose they don't need evidence because it's all part of this magical thinking QAnon yeah, exactly. world that we're currently like living in it's scary people scary stuff but there are various cases that relate back to D&D as far back as 1979 when 16-year-old child prodigy James Dallas Egbert III disappeared from his room at Michigan State University. So Egbert's family employed a private investigator called William Deere to find their son. This private investigator was admittedly someone who didn't know a lot about D&D or any role-playing games for that matter, but he had it in his head that Dungeons & Dragons was the reason behind Egbert's disappearance. Okay, so it was just, that must be it. That must be it, because it's queer and odd and it's different, I think. Mm. Who knows? But the sad truth of it was that Egbert was actually suffering from poor mental health, which was exacerbated by a drug problem, and he had disappeared of his own volition. He did turn Mm. up about a month later, but it was said that he was hiding out in the utility tunnels beneath the university. And that's how the case got its name of the steam tunnel incident. You can Google it, which then became the inspiration for that novel, which was then turned into a film with Tom Hanks called Mazes and Monsters. I haven't seen it. I'm going to have to link that up. Don't bother. I don't think it's going to be good. But as I said, (laughs) Egbert was found about a month later and he was in one piece apart from self-inflicted injuries. And it turned out he wasn't in the tunnels at all. Very sadly, young Egbert, he died a year after this disappearance from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. But despite his struggles with depression and addiction, people still blamed the game for his death. I'm just going back to Tom Hanks here because everybody thinks that he's this amazing actor. (laughs) He's just a guy. He's just a dude. But I will say it just sparked this memory of a friend of mine was on set with him. Oh, great. And... She cracked some joke with him. Minutes later, he cracked her joke to the rest of the set and didn't give her credit for the joke. (gasps) No. And everyone was like, oh, you're so funny, Tom. Oh, my God. And she's there going, beastly. Yeah, literally just stole my joke, you fucking asshole. (laughs) That sucks. It does suck. And apparently he was a bit, she's cute and small, and he was a bit, sexually Mm. creepy with her just saying Mm. let's not put too many things don't sue me (laughs) (laughs) i'm just saying this was her recollection of her encounter 
with Tom Hanks. I'm just recounting her encounter. Okay. Don't sue me. <laughs> okay. That was that particular incident which was linked to D&D. Then in 1982, a high school student named Irving Lee Pulling died after shooting himself in the chest. Pulling was also an outsider who struggled socially. However, his mother Patricia Pulling firmly believed that her son's suicide was because of him playing Dungeons and Dragons. One of Irving Pulling's classmates recalls that he had a lot of problems anyway that weren't associated with the game but beside the point as far as Patricia Pulling was concerned she attempted to sue her son's high school principal because he had involved Irving in a D&D game that the principal was dungeon master of it doesn't sound great does it it does sound a bit that creepy. Sounds creepy that that actually sounds like crossing a boundary it does a bit i shouldn't have said that he was just running the game maybe he wasn't the dungeon mat well he would have been the dungeon master that's the name that they're given my son's a dungeon master okay. but during the game irving was cursed and mum patricia believed that the curse was real so then she tried to sue trc the company that um, Dave and what's his name were running yeah. yeah at the time the court dismissed both cases but that didn't stop Mrs Pulling from campaigning against the game so she formed a pressure group called Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons or BAD <laughs> in 1983 but that does just sound like angry from Surbiton like it exactly. sounds a bit ridiculous and also I will say here what's it called PMRC I don't know what PMRC is it's all well and good to blame the school but where was she where were her parenting skills why wasn't she keeping a closer eye on her kids as a parent surely you have to take some responsibility here. I get it yeah I get it PMRC I think I've got the wrong acronym but it's Tipper Gore the wife of Al Gore she was upset about Beastie Boys and um, oh, Judas God. Priest and things like that there was this whole thing about putting stickers on records at the time <laughs> parents <sighs> against raucous music or whatever I don't even know what it stands for I do but I can't remember and I'm talking about Dungeons and Dragons god damn it so Mrs Pulling she said after she formed bad <laughs> she said that the game was a fantasy role-playing game which uses demonology witchcraft voodoo murder rape blasphemy suicide assassination insanity sex perversion homosexuality prostitution satanic type rituals gambling barbarism barbarism i think you'd say that actually not barbarism barbarism cannibalism sadism desecration demon summoning necromantics i'm not even finished divination and other teachings if that doesn't make you want to sign up i don't know what will but i just can't believe that that's actually true well that's what she thinks that's not necessarily true it's true that that's what she thinks it's true that's what she thinks but i don't think that's true of the content of the game no, I don't think so either. But that doesn't stop it. Because in 1984, a group of young people in Missouri were preparing for a Friday the 13th party. They were hanging out together, drinking, smoking weed, the things that you would do as teenagers. Then a few of them went to a girl's house, 18-year-old Mary Toey. Mary was planning to throw a party on Friday the 13th. So the idea was to go to her house and plan it. Oh, prepare for it. Whatever, you know, sit there hmm. and 
ordering Cheetos or whatever they do. Gatorade. She's making the jelly shots. Her boyfriend, some say her boyfriend, Darren Lee Molitor, and another friend named Ronald G. Adcox stayed at the house all night, listening to music, drinking, smoking marijuana, and practicing karate moves, which is what young men do, isn't it? Mary went to bed around 2 a.m. and then woke up early the next day and then continued to hang out with these boys who were then teaching her these amazing karate moves and martial arts moves and then started chasing her around the house. Okay. So Mary ran down to the cellar where the boys caught her, overpowered her and tied her hands and feet. So they left her there. They left her tied up in the cellar for a really long time. They went upstairs, continued drinking, smoking, whatever, while she was down there shouting from downstairs for them to untie her. Then at one point, Molitor went down and tied one of those elasticated bandages around her neck, despite claims that he checked to see if it was loose enough. Sadly, poor Mary died of a lack of oxygen to the brain because the stupid boys had gone back upstairs and just carried on drinking. Oh, my God. But they were high as well. You know, they were off their heads. That is fucked. I mean, it's a stupid accident. But when they realised what they'd done, they then panicked, grabbed some valuables, I guess, to make it look like a burglary. Then they put the body in the boot of Mary's own car and drove to a woodland where they buried her. Oh, my God. I know. The body was found and the FBI began to search for these two boys because they were known to be the last ones seen with her and caught them. Well, actually, they didn't catch them because they both handed themselves in. But they denied responsibility for her death. They said... They had been influenced by playing D&D and their personality had been affected. (gasps) Those little cunts. Sorry, but they just need to take responsibility. They weren't going to. No, of course they weren't. They're going to do anything they can to get off the murder charge. But quite frankly, yes, it was a stupid accident, but own up, mate. Own up to it. Even at the trial, Molitor insisted that they were just messing with her mind. And then the coroner testified that the death did appear to be accidental, like you'd said. Mm. But the jury found Darren guilty of murder in the first degree. And this is despite him requesting two expert witnesses to assist in his defence. Those witnesses, Michelle? Patricia Pulling of Ba'at-Duh-Duh and psychiatric doctor Thomas Radecki. He's the president of the National Coalition on TV Violence. Now, we had somebody like that in the UK around the same time. Her name was Mary Whitehouse. She wasn't a doctor. She was just a lady upset by all the violence on TV. This guy, um, Dr. Thomas Radecki, by the way, was later convicted of abusing his position as a doctor to commit sexual offences and of trading prescription drugs in exchange for sex with female patients. So he's now serving an 11 to 22 year prison sentence. And he should get 10 more for being a creep. But these witnesses were deemed irrelevant by the courts and they were never called. So this God. (laughs) Well, Molitor complained that he didn't receive a fair trial because of the fact that they weren't called. He never got the chance to convince the jury of how bad Dungeons and Dragons and the like were and how it can poison young people's minds. So this was uh, his his Mm. bugbear. So while in prison... Molitor wrote an essay in 1985 where he claimed that he had been playing for more than three years and that he believed most people who played were just escaping reality and de-stressing. Fine. But he went on to say that young minds could easily be damaged by exposure to the violence within the game, adding that the game is a tool of Satan 
and concluded the article by warning people against playing it. Actually, what he said was, you don't even have to be playing the game at the time. The mind is continuously playing the game. You could have played it for two or three days prior, but your mind is still playing. And he goes on to say that if you want to be safe and saved from evil, don't play the game. And he signs off a very concerned ex-player. What he doesn't sign off as is a young man convicted of first-degree murder serving a life sentence. And blaming it on D&D. That is really shocking, especially this was pre-internet, right? Kind of? Yeah, 85. 85. So pre-internet. Now, you know, there is a plethora of games. There's a lot of games that you can play that are way more hardcore, way more serious. And if that had set a precedent back then... I didn't commit the murder. Dungeons and Dragons made me do it. That could now be applied to so many things, which are way more Breath accessible. Of the Wild, Zelda, <laughs> yeah, or things like that. Fortnite. There's so much, and gaming is such a big problem. Actually, I mean, I've got a lot of mm. friends whose kids are in the grips of being hardcore gamers, and it's destroying brains, lives, no socialization, demotivating kids, demoralizing kids. I know that probably makes me sound like a really old person, but kind of. Yeah, but I hear what parents, like friends of mine are going through. But does it make them a murderer, Michelle? No, it doesn't. No. If that case had gone the other way and Dungeons and Dragons had been blamed, fuck man, that would have opened the door to a lot of crazy stuff. He initially sent this essay to a school in the hopes of helping young children. And possibly this happened because he'd heard about the murder of an 11-year-old boy in 1985 by his 15-year-old neighbor, by the little boy's 15-year-old neighbor. The boys were in the middle of a game of D&D. Now, you can't find this many places, so I'm not going to name any names. I found it deep and hidden. I did a bit of sleuthing. Apparently, the older boy thought that the younger one had become evil in the older boy's fantasy and that his job was to extinguish evil. So he said that he was in another world where he wanted to kill this young boy, but not in real life. It was all very confused. So chalk up another tragedy to D&D. However, psychiatrists at the teenager's trial said that he had the maturity of someone a few years younger. So perhaps it wasn't really something that a boy with his mental issues should have been playing because he couldn't decipher between fantasy and reality. And yes, there are people who do suffer from that. But there's a whole load of us also who are completely understanding what's real what's not who will not be affected in that way by D&D it's not responsible no and again where's the parenting here because if you know that your son is maybe a, a little mentally fragile or maybe he's developmentally not at the level he should be yeah monitor the games yeah just say that's not for you Eventually, the moral panic over Dungeons & Dragons did subside with the advent of VHS video nasties, which came under scrutiny by moral campaigners such as Mary Whitehouse, who I mentioned earlier. So there are films like Evil Dead, I Spit on Your Grave, disgusting gore-fest horrors like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Basket Case. Do you remember seeing that one? Belial. That was horrifying. Do you remember watching all this shit? Yeah. Did we do any murdering? No. No. I think I've mentioned this before, that scene in Evil Dead where they get the pencil and put it into that girl's foot, into her ankle. Oh, it was terrifying. It stayed with me to this day. I haven't seen it. I don't think I will now. No, it's quite fake now. You see like tomato sauce coming out, but you think it's blood (laughs) when you're a kid. But scary, scary. It's quite shocking that people want to blame 
a game because like the gun theory, guns don't kill people, people kill people. And it's the same with Dungeons and Dragons. You know, the game doesn't kill people, people kill people. Yeah, the ethics and how you decipher and navigate that is tricky. But I'm just quite surprised it's had a resurgence in popularity. I don't think it ever went away. Well, thank you so much for that story. Normally I say I'm going to look that up, but I'm not a gamer. It's not for me. But it is interesting that uh, a little game could cause so much fuss. You got the vibes. You got the vibes. I got the vibes. So, on the heels of all your talk about satanic panic, yes, I wanted to just go down that route here today uh, because there was some satanic panic in Tuggeranong. Oh my God, Tuggers. Tuggers. Now, for our listeners who are not from Canberra, which is most of you, Tuggeranong's a suburb in the ACT. It's a kind of a Boona, Bogan I don't really suburb. know much about Tuggeranong, to be honest with you. I'll fess up. I'm not familiar with Tuggeranong. I know the name and I know it's called Tuggers and that's all I know. Am I missing out? No, <laughs> you're really not. <laughs> you're not. Like you had said earlier, for anyone who's listened to us for a while, you know that we love a bit of satanic panic. And, you know, this whole Michelle Remembers book by a guy called, he was a psychiatrist actually, Lawrence Mm. Pazda. But he was also having a relationship with the Michelle of the book, wasn't he? Yes, secretly. And afterwards he married her. Uh So there's some some dodgy blurring of lines there. Mm. He was using recovered memory therapy to uncover a whole lot of supposed dark shit from the subconscious mind of Michelle Smith it all became about satanic ritual abuse and like you had said the finger was pointed at loads of people who ended up in jail for years and it all turned out to be bullshit but this little brush of uh, satanic panic in the 1990s in Canberra yes well it does come to us courtesy of our gorgeous spell lady Safka, yeah, uh, she, who sent this link, and I will put that into the show notes because it's a classic. It's a video from June 1990 that starts off by saying the Canberra Times ran an article, which I actually found from the 14th of June 1990, where they say that there's a juvenile heavy metal cult raging. That was the word they used, right. raging. And this cult was raging out of control in the suburbs of Canberra. They said that this cult gang was responsible for 50% of the crime in the area. Really? Yeah. The video shows these dudes that just look like your stereotype. I can see them now. 80s bogan booner, right? Kind of dragging their... Desert boots. Desert boots. Dragging their heels around. Flannies. Mullets. (laughs) Grunting instead of speaking. Heavy metal t-shirts. Acne. And that's what actually kicked off... This whole satanic panic was because it focused on kids who wore heavy metal t-shirts. Yeah. That was half a fucking Canberra. I mean, really, you could not walk through Civic without seeing Slayer t-shirts, Metallica, Anthrax, Iron Maiden, Megadeth, Judas Priest, as you said before, Def Leppard, Motley Crue, any metal band that you can name. You saw a kid wearing it on a T-shirt in the late 80s and early 90s. And yet, somehow, this article ran in the Canberra Times saying 
there was a heavy metal Metallica cult. A Metallica? They focused, they focused in on kind of the a lamest one. Maybe don't say a word. <laughs> Sleep with one eye open. open. Holding a pillow at night. Honestly, you're off to never, never land. I could just sing that all day. It's a great I song. mean, it was a classic. But if you had a, a Metallica t shirt on, the police were onto you because you were part of a cult oh on a crime spree in oh Targrenal. Oh, God. I know. Oh, that's basic. That's so basic. It's terrible and pathetic. And so the police, the AFP, Australian Federal Police, they actually issued a warning to parents saying that kids as young as nine years old were sneaking out of their bedroom windows after their parents had put them to bed. To do what? Well, they were going out and committing crimes. Oh, I see. Off to steal a hubcap. Well, if you're seven, mm. nine, whatever, yeah. you just watched Humphrey, potentially. You what? You don't remember Humphrey B. Bear? Uh, yeah. <laughs> he said it's time to go to bed now and you go off to bed. But he had to do it through mime. That's right, yes. It was like a little thing that said, now it's time for you guys to go all fuck off to bed. And Humphrey agrees, don't you, Humphrey? So your parents can go and neck a bottle of wine because yeah. they're sick of you. Yeah. Yeah, so they say, they were saying these nine-year-olds would sneak out, meet up with other kids in the cult and go destroy shit and steal shit and cause chaos. But they also say there were assaults. What, from 10-year-olds? Which is a little more yeah. serious. Yeah, nine-year-olds. So the article also said that kids were sneaking off from school at lunchtime to break into houses and steal stuff, all because of... Judas Priest. Exactly. Breaking the law, breaking the law. <laughs> Oh, my God, you know all of it. And heavy metal got the blame. An officer is on record saying, and I quote, about 80% of offenders wore Metallica (laughs) T-shirts and listened to heavy metal satanic music. And the ones into heavy metal attract others like a magnet. (laughs) And he said, if we see kids wearing heavy metal T-shirts, we'll pick them up. It all started with the T-shirts. They represent rebellion and parents can't cope with it. It's a different style of stop and search. Wow. Exactly. You know, not racial profiling. It's T-shirt profiling. (laughs) Fashion profiling. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, mate. You are under arrest. Why? Because you've got bad T-shirts on. Oh, but hang on. Oh, you've got Megadeth. Now they're all right. They're fine. You can go. Yeah. And then he also went on to say that he thought the bands themselves were half satanic. (laughs) Especially because one group sings about suicide and then he said, it's sick. Oh, (laughs) calm down. I know. And then the article also talked about kids were smoking pot. They were growing it in their backyards. They're going to do that anyway. Mum and dad knew about it half the time. I'm just saying. They're smoking it too. (laughs) Yes. And then their parents would drop them off at a roller skating rink on Friday nights in Arendelle. That's a good time. But they wouldn't go in the rink. They'd piss off and roam oh. around in gangs. Oh, but no, you wouldn't. You'd go in there because you want your blue slushy. Well, yeah, you do want a blue slushy. Who doesn't? Yeah. And maybe check out, you know, maybe do a few few rounds on the old rink. If you're a boy, you want to do that whole speed skating thing for 20 minutes and mm-hmm. really show off. Of course you do. If you're a girl, you just want to dance around in circles and roller skate to Bop Girl and um- Mondo Rock and... <laughs> Sunny boys. B O P G I R L. Oh my god. I completely forgot about that song. Apparently, they weren't going into the rink. They were going out, smashing shit, stealing shit, and then going back to the rink. Is that more fun? No. no. I don't believe no. it. 
in your tube skirt with a pair of roller skates. That's what you want. No, you were wearing your chewing gum jeans because you can't fall over in a tube skirt. You can't even skate in a tube skirt, Michelle. That's ridiculous. It's it's fashion, darling. (laughs) Look, the video uh, that Safka actually sent was kind of great because they talked about how this had run in the Canberra Times, this crazy article. And then the police slammed the article and they said... They actually had a press conference and said they denied that kids yeah. wearing heavy metal T-shirts and or earrings or nose studs would be picked up and that they didn't know of any evil heavy metal cult in Tuggers. So where did it come from, this article? Well, the Canberra Times article from memory did not reveal any source. So no one was fact-checking? No one fact-checked and I believe it was probably just some disgruntled parent who just went, those fucking kids and those bloody heavy metal T-shirts, you know, zoom it around. Had enough. I've had it. I've had it up to here. That's another one. (laughs) So the police just denied any of it. And actually there was this great footage of these girls in like proper Boona outfits because we called them Boonas in Canberra. I mean, I think Bogan was Sydney in New South Wales, but Boonas, they had like the teased curly perms, the flicks, Heavy black eyeliner, smoking Winnie Blues, hard mullets. You know, the boys had feather carts, heavy fringe. I mean, it took me right back. When you see it, <laughs> you're like, oh, my God, I went to school with girls like that. I actually went to my year 10 formal with a guy who looked like that. You were also with your curly perm mm. and heavy black eyeliner and your leggings and a flannel shirt with a low slung belt. Yes. And the half and half perm. Girls had that. Do you remember that? Hit and miss. Hit and miss, the hit and miss <laughs> Quite like the hit and miss. Do you know what? Neil, the scientist, his wife saw a photo of me as a kid and went, did Michelle have a hit and miss when she was young? <laughs> <laughs> That's her natural hair. Yes, got it on today. In a nutshell, the whole heavy metal, satanic panic, cult crime wave in Canberra, it was bullshit. There was no satanic panic. Aww, but thank you, Tasca. For taking me on a journey down Boomer Memory Lane. It did put a smile on my face. Why are you crying? Drop it. Another thing, it's funny you mentioned uh, 60 Minutes before because I did want to just wrap up with a story that I found. Because for fun, I typed into DuckDuckGo, satanic ritual abuse in Australia. Just for fun? For fun. What (laughs) else do you do? On a Friday night in your own. And a 60 Minutes episode from 1989 popped up. And this is 60 yes. Minutes Australia. With George Negus and Ray Martin. This was Ian, Ian Leslie. Leslie. God, I know all their names. How do you remember that? I, that's I amazing. It must be ingrained in my memory. Yes. This is a year before the Tuggers story. So I clicked on it to yeah. watch. And I have to say, watching it through a lens of 2023 and QAnon and all the satanic panic debunking, the whole, like, Michelle remembers bullshit. I'm calling fake news on this 60 Minutes segment. But let me circle back to give you a clue of what I'm talking about. Okay. 1989, reporter Ian Leslie interviews a 15-year-old girl called Teresa. I think she's from Nottingham. She's not Australian. She's English. Yes, but it's never really revealed in the clip. My digging seems to point to her being from that region. And in it, she talks about the most disturbing things that have happened to her. Oh, my God. So the clip, which I'll post to the show notes, starts off with Ian Leslie saying that 
for 12 years, she was the victim of relentless depravity. And that in his 27 years of reporting, this was one of the most painful stories he's ever had to tell. And trigger warning, the stuff she says is fucking grisly. So put down that juice. Now, she starts by saying that her friends and family would continuously rape her and get her pregnant so they could abort the baby and offer that aborted baby up as a sacrifice in satanic rituals. Oh my God, Jesus Christ. She said she was made to have sex with the adults in the cult, sex with animals, and then Ugh. a sacrifice would happen. And the sacrifice was sometimes an animal sacrifice, sometimes human. Essentially, Ugh. what Teresa and her mother Bridget, who was also in the news report, said was that there was also satanic mass murder happening and ritual abuse and sacrifice of children and that it was all going on undetected by Mm. authorities. It was all masterminded by Teresa's Nan. Nan was the mastermind, right? So what had Nan done to piss off these people? Well, she was the leader of this satanic cult. Look, Teresa, I say Teresa... Because I don't think it was her real name. I think it's a pseudonym because I actually uncovered another report, same girl, where she's called Natalie. Right. I mean, I was thinking, why was she even with Nan, you know, in the first place? But when Teresa was born, the mum had a mental breakdown, gave Teresa to her husband to look after. He was a bit of a dick, couldn't cope, gave Teresa to Nan, who began abusing her from the age of two. Now, the thing is, it's never explained, but the mum was perfectly fine on this news report but why did she once she mentally got herself back on track why did she never get Teresa back from now and they don't talk about how Teresa's story was uncovered how she ended up living back with her mum how they found out all this was going on so Ian your reporting's a bit few holes in that Swiss cheese Teresa says the cult leader was her nan and nan made her have sex with animals Specifically, goats and donkeys. Mm. Now, I don't know about you. How does that work? I think it's pretty hard to get a donkey to, like, pound a human. Stop it. (laughs) I'm sorry. I mean, it's normally the bloke who would be pounding. I say normally. There's nothing normal about this. Stop saying pounding. Okay, sorry. Mounting. Shagging. She also said she would have to have sex at the sacrifices. And there would be up to 30 people. And that Nan would be there laughing and smiling and having sex with all the men while it was happening. Actually, Ian Leslie says, are you making this up? And she says, no. And then she says, I know what I saw. I mean, you know, we love that that phrase here. We do. But in this context, I just don't know. Then he talks to some psychiatrist called Ray Wire, who says she's not making it up and that children don't make up elaborate lies. He also said that there were medical reports, and actually this is really awful if it's true, that confirmed that she was sexually abused. So I think that something awful did happen to her. Yeah. But I don't know that satanic ritual abuse at the hands of her baby-eating nan was what was going on. Yeah. Ian Leslie goes on to say that police don't think Teresa made up the story and that some of the oh. cult members have been charged and are going to stand trial. Five men were charged with rape and Nan, who apparently is 61 at the time and mm-hmm. lived in a council flat in South London, she was supposedly charged on seven counts of aiding and abetting rape and two counts of performing abortions on Teresa. Wow. 
God. Now, I'm just going to say, if this is actually true, that kind of story would have made headlines in the UK and most likely the world. But you try and look up any information on this case and it doesn't exist. And I'm not saying it's all made up, but again, Ian Leslie, where's your fact checking? (laughs) Because I know that we have done a story on a case that the internet forgot, but that was about a minor All the adults in that story were named and the adults in this story would have been named. There's nothing. Now, the therapist, Ray Wire, was big into Michelle Remembers and hypnosis. Loved that whole thing. And he was the only therapist in the UK to uncover, I say this in air quotes, 21 Mm -hmm. other cases of satanic ritual abuse in the UK in two years. Because... I'm just putting it out there, possibility he was implanting false memories or guiding stories while his patients were under hypnosis. Then Teresa talks about being taken to rich people's houses in the countryside to have sex with men, but she can't take anyone there because she was blindfolded, so she doesn't know the route. She talked about a tramp who the cult took they sliced him from his throat all the way down his body and ate him at a ceremony oh my god she said she saw lots of newborn babies sacrificed where did they come from she said she had a child when she was 11 and that that child was now four years old if we unpack that don't you think her teachers at school would have noticed that an 11 year old girl was pregnant yeah yeah is that suppose a child who didn't get aborted or eaten by nan registered Mm. at birth deaths and marriages Come on, Ian. I know. Get your finger out. Pull your finger exactly. out. Get reporting properly. Teresa said she got pregnant eight times and that all the babies were aborted by her nan or doctors who supposedly lived at the house. What? Now, this is grim and put down your juice if you don't want to hear this. Right. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. Teresa said one of the aborted babies was killed in front of her because it was oh, still God. alive. Oh, no, don't. And that she was made to eat don't. it along with Nan. No. And others in the oh, cult. Oh, God. She also Stop. said she had a miscarriage at school when she went to the loo because when she mm. went to the toilet, there was a baby in her knickers. What? It was, oh, it was kind of crazy. She said she put this baby out, she took it out of her knickers, put it into a pencil case and I think she means one of those what? wooden ones like you used to have to yeah. make in woodworking class this when you're in year so seven. This so fucking mind-bending. Sorry, this my mind is bent. And she put roses <sighs> in there so it didn't smell. Roses? Yes. And then she put what? it down the chute. She doesn't say what chute or where but she put it down a chute so her nan couldn't get it and eat it. Jesus Christ. She also said she did try to run away, but her uncle caught her and brought her back to Nan. And that when she was growing up, she thought everything that was happening to her was normal. And even though she didn't like it, she just thought it was something that happened to everyone. And when Ian Leslie asked her about where all these dead bodies went from all of this ritual sacrifice, she said there was a tub and all the dead bodies were thrown into it. And when they were, it went, the bodies went fizzy And then there was nothing left. No bodies, no bones, nothing. But there was sludge at the bottom. So that's the story of Teresa. And 60 Minutes Australia was the... They aired that? They aired it. They aired it as like the big scoop. But it was the only channel in the world to report on this case, which maybe tells you something. But that same year, 
and I don't know if it was before or after the 60-minute segment. What year was it? This was 89. There was a show called The Cook Report. You know that? Did you ever see it? Yeah, I remember that, yeah. And there was an episode called The Devil's Work. It was on ritual satanic abuse against children. And Teresa, who now is called Natalie, she's blacked out, but it's her. You can tell by the voice. Yeah. Now... What, straight away after 60 minutes? Well, I don't know if it was before or after. Because the dates, it's hard to find those dates online. But it details all of these like satanic practices going on all over the UK. They say this one episode is credited as starting the satanic panic in the UK in 1989. Right. I'll put a link to it. In the notes, like with this vid on YouTube, it talks about how so many people were falsely accused of satanic ritual abuse and how millions of pounds were wasted and time looking into it when it was all yeah it's a hoax basically but it takes time and money away from real children in need yes yes i agree with that yeah and that actually that this is even crazier apparently the nhs directed funds towards therapists to perform Mm. recovered memory therapy for what yeah and that mentally vulnerable people who said they were abused by satanists actually had those memories implanted into their brains through hypnosis by therapists that they went to by the therapists well this is in the notes that people have made comments and whatnot right it was basically a hoax so where are these memories come from if not Mm. from the therapists that these people went to to supposedly heal them but why would all the therapists be doing that as an NHS directive. Or was it just Richard Wire, this one, who maybe got right. a posse? Because we saw that all it takes is one person who really strongly believes that something's going on. It spreads like wildfire. See, there's another one. Spreads like wildfire. Spreads like wildfire. So tell me about Nan. I want to go back to Nan. Did Teresa stroke Natalie say that Nan had had her comeuppance in any way had she oh she was arrested wasn't she apparently but you can't find any information about a 61 year old woman from South London in 1989 who'd been arrested for administering abortions on her granddaughter and various procurement for rapes and things like that I did as much digging as I could but no there there are no headlines there's no news reports there aren't any court reports there are no reports of five men being charged either right there was a case where there were five men charged with abusing children but the timings don't add up nothing ever adds up i did Mm. find this blog which could just be speculation and opinion and it actually said too that the police didn't find any forensic evidence supporting Teresa's story no house no basement no corpses no remains of cannibal feasts no robes no aborted fetuses nothing Mm. and this was at nan's house because you know they did look into it what about the bathtub no tubs no sludge Mm. it does make you think it's implanted memories or Teresa has psychosis or she's part of this big hoax and i actually read in a reddit thread that Teresa slash natalie later came out and said she'd made it all up to get back at her nan right See, this is what I was saying at the beginning. What had Nan done that pissed her off? Well, she didn't go, let her go out to the roller rink with her boyfriend in a heavy metal T-shirt. 
I, I don't know because that was just a comment and I couldn't find any evidence to back that up. No, there's no backing of that, yeah. So I don't know what's true and what's not. But all I know is that 60 Minutes should have gone hard on the fact-checking. My God, no one's getting a Logie Award that year. Fucking hell, boys. Come it's on. Just, to me, fake news. Because if you go online, the debate about this, despite there being any evidence to back up a single thing that Teresa said... It's intense, Geordie. It's a little bit like what I said earlier. Hmm. A lot of Christians, a lot of QAnon saying her story is proof that Satan does his evil work on mm-hmm. earth. QAnon is pointing to it as evidence that these plots have been around for decades and people are getting away with it. Yeah. Honestly, I do believe that this girl, whatever her real name is, probably was abused. Maybe sexually, physically, yes. mentally. I don't know. I think she was probably from a not very nice home, maybe a bit neglected. Uh-huh. But I don't think she was made to eat her own aborted babies. So I'm calling bullshit. Okay. We'll never know really, I suppose. We can speculate. No one ever really knows. I just think it's too far-fetched at this point. But, you know, mm. look what happened in Tuggers. People were panicked. People make stuff up. Yes, and... That was a completely a false story. So I always like to think, as a general rule of thumb, we said it last week, there's always another mm. story. If you find something completely shocking or hard to believe, then there's probably another alternative view or another side to the story. Don't ever just take something at face value. And that goes for all aspects of life, Michelle. Oh, well, thanks for your wisdom. Thank you. Thanks for your amazing story. That's great. Yeah. Right, so I'm just going to go off and pop my D&D game on, wear my heavy metal t-shirt. Absolutely. Get your heavy metal t-shirt on, pop on a, a couple of tracks of Judas Priest, a brick in the law, a brick in the law. <laughs> I know Iron Maiden, run to the hill. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing how many heavy metal songs you realise you actually know once you hear them. And do you know what? They're not that heavy. They're actually not that heavy. Not that you know, heavy. they're kind of, no. they're kind of pretty light going Bon jo- Well, they're heavy Bon Jovi, basically. For me, something heavy would be something like, who are the ones with all the hats on their face, the things on the limp, not limp biscuit. Who are the ones with all the um, the things on their faces? They don't show their faces. Or what, the leather masks? Yeah, I think so. I'm, I don't even know who I'm thinking of right now. Not tool. Eavesdroppers, if you know who we're talking about, let us. It's not limp biscuit because they're shit <laughs> as well. Um, they're a bit limp. Corn. Corn. Oh, yeah, actually, corn were a little bit hard, mm. hard up. It was never really my genre, but just through osmosis, you you assimilate, end up knowing. Yeah, yeah you do. You know all the songs. Yeah. Hush, little baby. Yeah. Don't say a word. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I think it is time for us to bid our farewells and hope that the Sandman doesn't come tonight and take you to Never Never Land. Or whatever the the words are of that (laughs) lovely song by Metallica. Yes. Wherever you are. Whatever you do. Just keep fucking eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.